we've been mostly moving at a faster pace, uh, finishing up uh, 15, opening up 16. Um, we, we've talked a lot about dietary restrictions and, and consecration and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, the, the seven years uh, debt relief, I think, is very interesting. I've actually heard some um, economists recommending the idea of, of every seven years uh, allowing for a, a debt relief to take place amongst people. And yes? The year of Jubilee is every, is every 50 years. What's that? The year of Jubilee is every 50 years. It's seven times seven. Right. At the end of every seven years, chapter 15, verse 1, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Okay. Yeah, the year of Jubilee, yes. That would be that would be that as, as well uh, for every 50 years. You're correct. Uh, but what I was seeing here was, was, was talking about was the seven years. There's some people that have advocated that. There are some people that have advocated a Jubilee principle as well, where every 50 years, you know, uh, property ownership will go back to the people who initially owned it and those types of things. I mean, people have, have really studied the concepts of Deuteronomy and the law in general about how to go about better handling uh, economic principles. Uh, some people are just come to the conclusion that capitalism has a major flaw. Uh, and what's interesting about the, the flaw in, in capitalism is um, that those who are rich just keep getting richer and richer and richer. And the problem isn't necessarily that it's wrong to earn money. The problem is, is that the greed and the power that come with that of, of squashing out other people and, and not allowing them to exercise their talents, gifts, free enterprise, and essentially indenturing people into, into class systems. And so it's just very interesting to hear some of the economic things are going on. I don't know if you guys nerd out on stuff like that. <laughs> Nothing like a good economic podcast to get you going. But anyway. Well, that's why they have the... Uh, um bankruptcy laws are in the, it's supposed to affect your credit for I don't know for seven years but right it's more like ten yeah yep that's true it's absolutely true so before we jump in let's take a moment let's pray we'll ask the Lord uh, to please lead us through this whole thing father we thank you that uh, the word of God is in our hands how amazing that is uh, Father, how wonderful uh, to know that you are ready at any moment to speak to us and to speak into our lives, to show us wonderful things. And asking God that you please bless us in our time together today, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, we, we have been going pretty briskly through uh, 14, 15, uh, 13, 14, 15, dealing with that. 16 is where we're actually going to slow down. And here's the reason why we need to slow down is because there are uh, three pivotal things that are happening here that they're going to explain. Now, I wanted, what I want to do first is if you're somebody who marks in your Bible, you're somebody who's going to take notes or just some observations of some things, let's point those out real quick uh, before we uh, move forward so that you know what we're running into. And the first thing I want to point out to you is if you will turn to verse 16 of chapter 16. It says, three times in a year, all your males shall appear before Yahweh your Elohim in the place where he chooses at the, now watch this, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, okay? Notice the next one, is the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. These are the three feasts that we're going to be talking about in uh, the section leading up to that summarization verse. And so uh, if you want to put there next to it, verses one through eight, 
are the is the feast of unleavened bread, and we're also going to talk about the fact that that's that's exactly the same time of which Passover is taking place. They're not the same feast; uh, they're actually two separate occasions, but they coincide with one another during that time. Uh, so, verses one through eight is the feast of unleavened bread. Verses nine through twelve is the feast of weeks, and verses thirteen through fifteen or the Feast of Booths. And we're going to talk about what all those things are uh, to understand more about the feasts. So we're going to do a lot of reading. We're going to do a lot of looking at uh, how these things uh, were manifest in real time for Israel, what they saw, and then this expansion of what's happened now that 40 years of the wilderness has passed and they're preparing people to go into the Lamb. So chapter 16, look at verse 1. Observe the month of Abib, and celebrate the Passover to Yahweh your Elohim. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. So notice it gives a commandment and it gives a reason and it gives a time. Okay. Now, if you're familiar with anything with the Jewish calendar, Abib here, uh, this is also known as the month of Nisan. Or, or Nisan, however you want to say that. It looks like Nissan, but it's it's only got one S, okay, if you think about your automobiles. Uh, but uh, And what it was was it stretched from the middle of March, if we want to compare it to our calendar, from the middle of March to the middle of April. That's the time that that, that went on, okay? So notice there to observe the whole month and celebrate the Passover. Now, remember the Passover situation. And the Passover is actually to be celebrated on the 14th of Nisan or Nisan, however you say that, uh, the Lord your God for, here's the explanation, in the month of Abib, the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, brought you out of Egypt by night. Now, this right here, uh, Passover, the reason why you have it listed as Passover here, and then you have it in verse 16 is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's like I said, they parallel one another. They're right on top of one another during these times. And so what we need to do in order to understand better of what we're looking at is actually pause here and turn to Exodus chapter 12. And like I said, we're going to do a, four, a, 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 sorry, a fair amount of reading. Um, just to get our bearings in it. I don't know how much time anybody has spent in the Exodus account recently. But especially the situation uh, dealing with the lamb. The specifics that are given on. Uh, the angel of death that passes over all of that. Let's just see what's going on here. The real time event. And then why, why there would need to be a celebration or a commemoration of the deliverance uh, of the people. So, chapter 12, verse 1. Is there anybody that would like to read, only for the sole fact that I would really love to put this apple, cinnamon, Nutri-Green bar into my stomach because I'm pretty hungry. Anybody like to read? Great, please. Okay. Uh, verses 1 through 51. Oh, okay. We're going to get the whole narrative. All right. <clears throat> And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take up 
Take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. <coughs> and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all the, all the water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall not let... Uh, and you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat, in, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever <coughs> eateth leavened bread bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No matter of who, uh, no manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done for you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. Sorry, stop for just a second. Everybody notice in verse 17, he's talking about the Passover up until that time. Verse 17, he also connects this. Does everybody see that? Okay, real quick. Thank you. Go ahead. Sure. <coughs> and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In, <coughs> in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in a basin, and strike the lintel and two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come in until your house into unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass, when ye have be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass, when your children say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. And it came to pass, 
that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get ye forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be <coughs> dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their knee troughs being bound up in the clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels and silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men, beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is home-born, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Fantastic. Man, such endurance, <laughs> such quality. Yes. <clears throat> Beautiful. Okay. Now, there are just a couple of things I want to bring to your... Just, these are just little intriguing things. I don't know that there's any deep, uh, massive spiritual truth you're going to walk away and be like, whoa, but I think it is important to bring up. Uh, because when we see something like in verse 14, when it talks about the Passover and it says, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And I want you to look over in your marginal note, if you have it in the NASB, and it says, or an eternal ordinance. Um, I, I, I think this is important to bring up, and this will challenge some of your reading of the New Testament, is that sometimes when the idea of eternal is used, what it actually means is age-lasting, okay? 
And I'm going to explain to you what that means in just a minute. But notice that it talks about the Passover being an eternal ordinance. And then if you skip down and you look at verse 17, you shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall uh, observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. And notice that you've also got the same marginal note as the idea of an eternal ordinance. Now this is something that somebody pointed out to me that I thought was very interesting. If you were to read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, does anybody know what's in those chapters? Okay, it's what's commonly known as Ezekiel's temple, but it's also known as the millennial temple. Now what it is, is there are four temples in scripture. There's the temple that was initially built by Solomon, and then it was ransacked, torn down, made a mess of, temple was restored and rebuilt and this was the time of the Maccabees that came in or some people would actually transfer that into the uh, the idea of Herod's temple uh, which some would, would say that then you have actually that the temple is going to be built during the tribulation uh, that the Jews are in fact there's a, interesting rumblings in the underground I've talked to some missionaries in the past and this was 10 years ago about the idea that they have the basic structure and frame ready at a moment's notice to erect the temple on the temple mount there uh, when when they get the the get go, in fact, sometimes you'll have they'll have a group that carries around on a cart. If you do any research in news, and they have a cornerstone that they want to lay on the Temple Mount because the cornerstone was essentially striking the claim to the ground of that this is ours, and they want to erect the temple around the cornerstone for the temple. Uh, so anyway, that actually will with the treaty that the man of sin makes with the Jews and probably the Arabs over there is going to allow for such peace that there's going to be a temple that's going to be erected at that time during the first three and a half years. Uh, but then there is a millennial temple that Christ will build himself. And Ezekiel 40 through 48 brings up in detail what this temple is going to look at. And what's interesting is, is that whenever you deal with the idea of feasts that are going to be celebrated during that time, uh, you actually find that there are four feasts that are not going to be uh, taking place there. And, and we'll get into all this a little bit later, but it's the idea of the first fruits, the idea of Pentecost, the idea of the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Trumpets. None of those feasts are going to be celebrated that time because Christ is the fulfillment of all those feasts. Now, why in the world is that important for us to understand? Because all of these feasts have a precursor to Jesus. They all point to Jesus in some way. In fact, we, we find that that's not just a idea that's brought up in the Exodus account. Of course, God is, is setting setting the, the tone historically for what's going to happen spiritually in the New Testament time when Jesus comes on the scene. But we find that, that you can stretch this idea all the way back to whenever Noah comes off the ark. And they talk about the idea that you can now eat meat. You know, you shall not eat the blood that is in it. Why is that? Because every time we enjoy a cheeseburger, we're actually supposed to think about the fact that something had to die so that we could live or that we could be sustained. All of it points to a picture of Christ. It's very interesting. Uh, so when, we, when we're reading through some of this stuff, we're seeing what's going on there. Not all these feasts are going to last into uh, the millennium, which is interesting to see. Some of them might just be age-lasting during this time, but when Jesus ushers in the millennial age, it's going to be uh, a completely different situation going on, and that's what makes prophecy so fascinating to research and all of that. Uh, but again, I want to point to the idea that these are set up because all of it's going to point a picture to Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to grasp that. So now, if you would, go back to Deuteronomy 16.
And let me give you two references if you want to write them down. You can look at them. We, we could go through references for this stuff all day long. Um, but if you want to write down Leviticus 23, verses 4 through 8, if you want to do it just on a piece of paper in your margin there next to verse 1 of chapter 16, you will actually see there that they also have Passover and the unleavened bread co uh, coincide with one another. And then also in Numbers 28, verses 16 through 25, and the big idea, of course, with Passover is it commemorates the deliverance of Yahweh for his people, okay? They were in complete bondage going on in Egypt. Looked like the situation was absolutely hopeless. They called out to God for deliverance. God shows up and delivers them in dramatic and grand fashion in such a way as to where what was plaguing them would never plague them again. In fact, I think it's interesting, if you remember... Um, uh, whenever Marianne was reading there and it talked about the Pharaoh was telling them to make haste and get out kind of thing and almost pushing them out the door uh, to do that. And then what happens after that if we know the rest of the story? What's he do? Sends people after Yeah, he's like, what I do? What do we do? What did, you know, he's probably blamed other people. What did you do? You know, but the idea is, is let's mount it up and let's go out and get them and this is what happens to their demise in the Red Sea. All of this points a picture of God's deliverance and salvation. And, and this is just me personally. I, I completely believe that the idea uh, of, of what's being communicated in the type there of what physically happened is any time that we think that those old sins uh, are, are creeping up on us in our lives, to recognize the idea that they've been drowned and they've been washed away. You know, whatever previously had us in bondage. No, no, no. Jesus dealt with it. He set us free and he washed that mess away and we don't have to deal with it anymore. And I believe completely that the reason why that happened in the Old Testament was to stand a picture of what exactly took place and the death of Christ and the extent of which we have been set free. So uh, just something to ponder as you, as you think about it. So back to chapter 16, verse 1. It says here, observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover of Yahweh your Elohim. For in the month of Abib, the Yahweh your Elohim brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Passover to Yahweh your Elohim from the flock and the herd in the place where Yahweh chooses to establish his name. Now remember, this is the idea of sacred spaces. Right now, they can sacrifice anywhere that they want to. But when they move into the land, God is going to designate where he desires for sacrifice to take place. And of course we know he eventually settles on Jerusalem and that whole situation and uh, they end up erecting the temple in Solomon's time and all that. So verse 3, you shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt, notice this, in haste, so that you may, what's the word? Remember. All the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Now here's the question. It's obvious. What is the whole purpose of commemorating this event? To remember. To remember. That's the whole idea. Let me ask you a question. Has God done great things in your lives? Yeah. What are they? Do you know? You want me to make a list? Well, I'm just saying, do you know? Do you know all of them? No. Do you remember all the times that he showed up, all the times that he delivered, all the times that he answered? The times that you, you know, we usually remember the ones that are really, uh, you know, extravagant for us. You know, there's no way that person's going to come to faith in Christ. Even though you're praying for him for a long time, you're praying that the Lord bring people in their lives. Next thing you know, that person comes to faith in Christ. You're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. The Lord's totally answered. And that's the thing that we remembered. 
But, but we might forget the small things. We might forget the little moments that he takes care of. We might simply forget the promises of how he will take care of us, sustain us, never leave us, never forsake us, those types of things. And it's just what happens in life, and yet we end up taking it for granted as we go throughout our day. So why am I bringing that up? Because too often times our worship may suffer because we forget just how good he is on a daily basis. Well, notice when you talk about celebrating a feast, the whole reason why we're going to get together is usually for what? Family we haven't seen in a long time. So we got to make a meal out of it, right? Friends are going to get together and go do something. So that's going to happen. And it usually becomes very in-focused. Notice this whole idea is get together, throw a feast, have a party, and remember what God did in setting you free. Look back to that. Go back to that. It's worship is what it is. It's worship with food, which I'm all about. I think that's great. Brian. And the part that Marianne read earlier, it also specifically mentioned, like, when children ask, this is why yes. we do this. Like it's for bringing up and raising the next generation to also remember. So that yes. they know and remember who their God is. Absolutely. It's, it's worship. It's a feast. It's a party. It's a teaching moment. How amazing is that? Well, why is it important that we... You know, make this just so. And why Why can't I have leaven? I really like... Anybody ever had anything unleavened? <laughs> why is it that this thing... Why is it this bread so flat? You know, that kind of thing or whatever. <laughs> Here's a reason why. You know, all the rest of the bread we have in the house is all puffy and big. Why is this one... You know, however a kid would describe that. But it's a teaching moment. Totally communicate. Here's what God has done. And this is, this is so part and parcel of everything we've seen in Deuteronomy as well. There is no area of life of which the Lord has not touched. And the responsibility of the people is to continue to observe, uphold, and communicate how God has touched their lives over and over. So that's, that's what we're seeing here is this deliverance. Excellent observation, Brian. It's good. <clears throat> so notice, remember all the days of your life, the day. When you came out of the land of Egypt. Verse 4. For seven days no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. And none of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. Why is that? Uh, number one is because there's not to be any delay. The fact that it's supposed to be in a hurried manner is to remind the people how quickly these things happen. Remember, they, they weren't just, hey, you guys want to leave now? It wasn't like that. It was, get out of my nation kind of thing. And they were essentially, you know, boot to the boot to the behind <laughs> out of the country <laughs> kind of thing is what it was. Uh, and notice that it also brings up the idea of the sacrifices there. Uh, a second reason would be the fact of if you have spoiled provisions, it symbolizes corruption and sin. And, and, and if there's going to be a symbolism that's going to be attached to this. This is actually a holy evacuation is, is, is what God's bringing here. So it says here, verse five, you are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns, which the Lord, your God is giving you, but at the place where the Lord, your God chooses to establish his name, there's a sacred spaces again, and you shall sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset at the time that you came out of Egypt. Um, let me ask you a question. And, and we saw, let me see back where I've got it. I actually ended up taking special markers and marking it. Um, 
but I've, I've, I've highlighted in orange, starting with chapter 12 is where it first brings it up. Uh, brings up a little bit of it in 13, maybe. It picks it up again at the end of 14, the idea of place, 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 place. It's talking about sacred spaces. Let's think for a second. Why, why don't you just stay home and worship God? Why would you come here at a centralized place for that? What, what would be some of the, the pros of doing it that way? Why would God say to everybody, listen, we're going to have this massive party. All this stuff's going to go on. It's all going to be centralized around the fact of your deliverance from Egypt. And we're going to do it at a place I'm going to say, this is where you come to do it, period. There's there's no other option. What would be some of the pros for that? Well, it's like they all came out of Egypt together. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they should celebrate it together. Okay. Okay, so notice it's the idea of a unity that takes place. We all, we're all going to be together in the same place with that. No okay. confusion as to where to be. There's no question about where you got to go or where you need to be. That's the place to be. So how many people remember back when we were doing strictly live streaming? Okay. How many of you sat there in complete tune with what was going on with your Bible open, pen in hand, prayerful, ready to go, didn't move? Took a nap. Took a nap? (laughs) What's that? Distracted by kids? Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. Right? Somebody buzzing you on the cell phone. Oh, I gotta answer this text real quick. You know? Well, I just I'm just gonna check Facebook real quick. You know, I'm just I'm just gonna let everybody know I'm on the live stream, you know, something like that. I mean, but there ends up being a lot of things that are like attention getters that try to drive us away. Notice that this is to be a in fact we could say it this way, a solemn assembly. That doesn't mean you come in all sad and grumpy or that kind of thing. It's the idea of all other distractions have been laid aside because all that matters is God at this moment. This is one of the hardest things I'm trying to teach Nathaniel about prayer. You know, during prayer, he thinks it's time to start kissing hands and try to eat his food while we're praying and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not spanking him or anything for that, but we're constantly having conversations, you know, about the idea of, no, this is about God. We focus on God. Everything we have is because of God. We're thankful to God. We're going to talk about God, you know. And he's like holding our hands and trying to, you know, do that to the plate or something like that. It's just like, come on, man. Slowly trying to get that idea of, of the distractions are always going to be there. And so the idea of why is it good to come in the building? Well, you know, leave your cell phone in the car if that's become an issue. You know, take you can lay distractions down and just be alone with the Lord. And that's really what needs to happen. There's, and I'll just say this, this isn't a criticism, but this is just like, I guess, a hope. There's a lot to be said about the level of vulnerability that could happen in this room. Just one-on-one between us and the Lord. It doesn't need to be anybody else involved in that situation to where we don't have to keep up appearances and don't have to pretend we got it all together and, and really just be honest about struggles and hurts and, and problems and issues and God, I know I'm going to have to deal with this, Lord, and I don't have any answers for this. I need, I need you. You know, good grief. How, how, much, how much more we could walk away from our corporate time together if, if, if we could just remove the distractions and have that focus well this is what's great about this is not only was god supposed to saturate all of their lives but when he gets everybody together in one place that's all there is that's all there needs to be it really communicates a very powerful message so so notice verse six but at the place where Yahweh, your Elohim, chooses to establish his name you shall sacrifice the passover in the evening at sunset at the time that you came out of egypt 
and you shall cook and eat it in the place, there's that word used again for sacred space, uh, which Yahweh your Elohim chooses. In the morning, you are to return to your, what? Tents. Tents. Uh Uh-oh. Anybody know what that is? But essentially, notice it because there's going to be a centralized place of location. Everybody's got to hitch up the camper and travel. And so we're going to worship God and then we're going to camp out. Notice it's not just, okay, we're done with this. Now let's go home. You know, let's get home for the Packers start playing at noon. You know, notice they're not worried about that kind of thing. They're actually setting up a tent and we're going to spend time there in communal living with one another. Probably, you know, hey, we all worship the same God, but it's not people that, you know, I'm, you're, you're from, you know, over in Issachar's, you know, area. We're from Zebulun. You know, how are you guys doing over there? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, how weird is that? But yeah, they're actually going to camp out together. They're actually going to have a um, temporary housing that they're going to have to bring for the situation. And then what I think is interesting is, is notice in verse 17, you shall cook it and eat it in the place which Yahweh your Elohim chooses in the morning you are to return to your tents. You know what that tells you about their worship time for that? They're up all night long. They're up all night long cooking this, sacrificing, the whole idea of observing the Lord, and then they return in the morning. Verse 8, six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly. There it is. On the seventh day, a solemn assembly to Yahweh your Elohim. You shall do no work on it. And that is to be observed like the Sabbath. Notice it might not be the Sabbath, but it's to be observed like the Sabbath. Very important. So now just one more branch here. Uh, Verse 9 is a little bit of a transition going on. I just want to touch on it for a second. And then uh, we won't have class, of course, next week because of the open forum meeting, which I encourage you all to come, ask questions, be informed. Uh, I'm so excited about what God what I believe that God wants us to do with this church. I don't have any qualms about it, uh, but I'm, I'm excited for everybody else to get excited about it as well. Uh, but verse nine, you shall count seven weeks for yourself. You shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain or, or to the wheat. Maybe your translation might say the wheat. That's what they're talking about there. But what this is, is this is the transition between Passover and the feast of weeks in verse 10. And there's 50 days that take place Passover and then it says uh, seven weeks you actually find that that equals to be 50 days I know we'd say 49 but it's actually talking about on the day so the next day would be 50 days and then you have the feast of weeks does anybody know what the Greeks called the feast of weeks Pentecost that's what it's called that's the feast of weeks and so why is this important because you can detail out in fact turn with me if you will Acts chapter 1. From what you know about how to handle that, you can now look at Acts chapter 1 and understand timing perfectly. Acts chapter 1. And we'll just start in verse 1. Sorry, go ahead. That's good. There you go. Excellent. So 
So it says here, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period, 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So notice he was teaching the kingdom of God for the 40-day period, and gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Everybody see that? Not many days from now. If you got 40, and we know between Passover and Pentecost is 50, how many days is he talking? 10. Notice we, hey, Bible's teaching us math. Praise Jesus, right? So, so notice how that goes on. Uh, and he says here, uh, so we can actually just leave it at that if you want. Um, but but notice, it, it gives you an outline to understand, well, exactly how long uh, was this going on between Jesus, the, the, the situation going on in the Passover and all that. In fact, we could easily probably conclude, and I'd probably have to research more into this. It's the idea of Jesus dying and then he raised again three days later. And then he appeared to them, he's teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. You're dealing with actually 43 days, and you would deal with seven days' time that would actually take place. So seven days' time in between the end of his ministry when he ascends and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the whole time, remember, they're in Jerusalem. They're waiting. They're praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell them what to do. Had to wait seven days. Man, sometimes we have difficulty praying seven minutes about what God wants us to do. Here they are praying seven days together about it. So that that right there just gives you a, a little bit of a line about how the feast would be structured in between that. And I need to research more about whether they went back home in that 50-day period or if they, they hung out there for 50 days. That'd be interesting in those tents. Uh, but anyway, uh, seeing how this works as far as how Jesus was operating, the coming of the Holy Spirit, what all of that meant. Neat stuff. So, so what do we gain from all this stuff? No, number one, if, if you, in the Bible I had before this one, it was an ESV that I'd used for years and I haven't done it this cause I put all kinds of little charts and stuff I put in here. Uh, but I had one of those little, uh, pads of paper like this. You probably see them at Walmart or whatever, just like little half pads. Aww. And I put those command strips on the back of them that are double side sticky. And what I did was I took this here and I just stuck it in here. And, and I just wrote at the top of it, great things that God has done. Uh, and, and I went through and I would put a date and I would put the event. You know, what happened? What did God do? What did God do? What did God do? And what I found is it was actually, is if I could just remember to bring it to the piece of paper and put it in, it was really great to find out that I quickly had pages filling up of things that God was doing. Whether they were considered common and mundane or whether they were considered incredible and extraordinary, it didn't matter. Just wherever God was, was doing or whatever he was showing me at those particular times, bringing it to my mind. Um, and it was what was interesting was is after the time of a year or two went by, you know, and I'm so many pages into documenting these things, you go back and you read. Oh, yeah, I forgot he did that. Oh, yeah, I remember that when he did that. Yes, I didn't know it was on that day. You know, you start to think about, wow, how easily I am to forget even the little things that God would do. And yet he's always working with his kids. So... If we learn anything from the idea of Passover, yes, it's deliverance. Yes, it's the idea of the blood being given and all of that. And we've heard that uh, a lot and by no means want to discredit it whatsoever. Uh, but how does this apply to us in the here and now? 
if we can find ways to just remember what God's done in our own personal lives, how he's led us in our own understanding of him, how he's developed things in our experience, how, you know, somebody was, was sharing with me today when they got here about the, the, the time that he and his wife and his family has put together in prayer for this guy and just to watch God heal a guy that shouldn't have been healed. You know, he shouldn't, he was not supposed to get better. He was supposed to die and be done. You know, and he said, man, we prayed fervently for this guy. And he began praying with us over this and just seeing what God can do. Man, write that down. That's good stuff. Because you'd be surprised, even the extravagant things, we might run the danger of forgetting in the in the hustle and bustle of everyday life. So we serve a great God, serve a good God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for events in our lives, events where you've made yourself known, events uh, that can only result in the conclusion that we need to give you glory. Thank you, God, for everyone here who's come together. Uh, we pray, God, that you would ease the minds and hearts of people who might be fearful and, and staying away, uh, that, Father, they would be encouraged uh, to come back and, and to um, lock arms with the body of Christ and, and to worship you together, uh, that we would be free of all distraction, free of all... Um, I don't know, all things that really want to try to get our attention and make us focus on the stuff that doesn't really matter. Instead, Lord, you would be our central focus. So we thank you, God, for being merciful in those things, and, and we, we trust you to answer uh, our prayers as we ask them so that we can see our brothers and sisters again. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you.